The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, where we uncover the truth, one guest at a time. For those who dare to seek, Veritas is the place where they shall find. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you're keeping Veritas alive. Tonight, he is back. We are taking you back to the woo-woo world and the upcoming predictions by the webbot. By popular demand, Cliff High returns to Veritas to discuss the immediate future and what we can do about it. As usual, Cliff will not disappoint. By the way, you will notice how we switch from Skype to regular telephone line after we started getting disconnected. But then, we also started getting disconnected via telephone. What he and I could hear was not recorded. It was very strange, and as usual, the first disconnect had to do with the same topic that has gotten us disconnected in the past few shows. Cliff High will be with us shortly. And for next week, there has been a slight schedule change. Veritas steps into uncharted territory with our special guest, Nick Bryant, author of The Franklin Scandal, a story of power brokers, child abuse, and betrayal. I'm not going to include a preview here due to time constraints, but if you are brave enough to listen to the preview, 
go to our website and look at the upcoming shows and click on Nick Bryant's show. Listener discretion is advised. To listen to the complete version of this three-hour show and all our past and future shows, become a member. You will receive immediate access to all our inventory of shows, the Manticore Forum, and the Veritas Chatroom. Don't wait. Just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, click on subscribe, and take Veritas with you. If you want a Veritas subscription but cannot afford one, and you are ready, willing, and fully capable to transcribe a show, instead of giving you the usual three months for a transcription, I will give you six months. But you have to contact us on or before April the 30th, and you need to be able to transcribe in a timely fashion. And for more information, this is the free subscription link of our website, veritasshow.com. And let me mention some of the upcoming guests so that you know how valuable your Veritas subscription is. Nick Bryant, Miara Isley, Dolores Cannon, Richard C. Hoagland, Jay Whitener, Joseph Farrell, and we're also working on getting David Icke, Jim Marsh, and many more. And I have two pieces of important and timely news to share with you. The first one comes from Richard Dolan, and it pertains to one of our past guests, Dr. Richard Souter. The headline is dated April 18, 2010, and reads, Dr. Richard Souter Arrested. Dr. Richard Souter, author of several books on secret underground bases, was arrested for peacefully protesting at a Minuteman 3 nuclear missile launch site near Parshall Minot Air Force Base. Attorney author and law professor Francis A. Boyle said, quote, People like Richard and others are some of the most principled people I've ever been fortunate enough to meet, and I believe they have a right to peaceful, nonviolent, prayerful demonstration against weapons of massive destruction and genocide. The future of humanity is at stake here, and Richard and those like Richard out there are trying to do something. Unquote. Dr. Sauter, an affiliate of the White Rose Movement, explains his protests in detail in his Minot Manifesto, North Dakota, April 2010. In his most recent book, The Richard Sauter Briefing, he describes the global situation and the immediate challenges for humanity. The central reality of these early 21st century times is the total certainty of imminent, massive, deep-rooted change in every sphere of reality that is meaningful to the human race." Unquote. Earlier this year, Dr. Sauter also published Hidden in Plain Sight, Beyond the X-Files, which details his latest research into the existence of clandestine underground and undersea bases. Please support Richard and his quest for peaceful change. Report about him, his activities, and research, and circulate this message as widely as possible. Richard is being held without bail, and his court date is scheduled in 30 days. I hope Richard is freed very soon. I remember his last words during our show. He said to never use violence because that is the game the powers that be want us to play. Peaceful revolution is what he advocates. And as I'm preparing for this show, right at the last moment, I received an important message. It originates from David Sarita, another very desk guest. I don't want to sound as if I'm fear-mongering. But I respect David Sarita's research and deemed it important to share with you. The message has links at our forum with images for you to see and draw your own conclusions. 
In the meantime, let me summarize the key points. Quote, there is a huge solar sunspot activity coming towards us right now in less than a week. I have matched all of the recent earthquakes from American Samoa, Tsunami, Haiti, Chile, and more to even less sunspot activity than is currently approaching us. Even more shocking, I have matched Hurricane Floyd, Katrina, and even the huge tsunami of December 26, 2004. He refers us to an image that's on our website of the sun 10 minutes before the 9.4 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake, which was an undersea megathrush earthquake that occurred on December 26, 2004. And uh, he also refers to a NASA solar camera showing the huge eruption on the sun 10 minutes before the 9.3 earthquake and also includes more images a few minutes later. The point is, the coming solar sunspot coming towards us is so massive, we may be in danger unless by using the power of the coast-to-coast -coast AM Millions audience. We can change this. Obviously, this message was intended for coast-to-coast, -coast, but we can also do our part here with Veritas listeners. Here's the image of the sun today. He's providing another image. Look at 10 AM position and see how bright and huge this energy is as the sun rotates counterclockwise once every 27 days. This massive energy will be directly facing Earth in five to seven days. Sincerely, David Sarita." Unquote. If nothing happens, great. But should he not try to get our attention if this is possible and he's connecting the dots? I thought it was. For updates and more news, and believe me, there are plenty more, visit the forum. My interaction with you does not end with Veritas. It only begins. We continue our discussion with members around the world. Will Israel attack Iran and start World War III? Will there be more earthquakes shaking the ground and volcanoes erupting the rest of the year? Will civil unrest take place with the implosion of the dollar? This and much more in almost three hours of Cliff High. If you want to believe, stop this audio now. If you want to know the possibilities, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. right here on the Veritas show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases, right there at Jamendo.com. Dr. Richard Sauter, and you are listening to Veritas. And tonight's guest does not need an introduction. His reputation precedes him. And everyone listening, I presume, knows who Cliff High is from HalfPassHuman.com. Well, hello, Cliff. Thanks for being on Veritas once again. How are you? Doing fine, Mel. Thank you very much for asking. My pleasure, as usual. Since January, I started thinking of you, Cliff, ever since the Haitian and other earthquakes and now the volcanoes. 
It seems earth changes are really occurring. Whether this is a natural phenomenon or perhaps man-made, we'll be exploring that tonight. But Cliff, every time I have you on the show, expectations rise. And, and with that, the number of questions. And since I'm simply a bridge between the audience and you, I want you to know, and to everybody listening, that uh, I will probably sound, and I'm going to be speaking faster than usual, and we'll get right to the point. I know that's the way you like it. So let's start with the questions, Cliff. <laughs> okay, guy. We'll, we'll just jump right through them there. Yeah. Exactly. So you won't have a problem with that. So you ready? Sure. I'm good to go anytime. I've got coffee here, so I'll, I'll uh, suck up some and, and we can start. Sure. Let's go for it. Does the Alta data indicate massive citizen Rex 84 internment camps roundup activity in the U.S.? And will the internment camps in the U.S. be activated? No, our data doesn't show that. Whether that's the plan or not is uh, appears to be immaterial, because if it's the plan, other events will certainly uh, overtake it and make it moot. Okay. Does the Alta data indicate massive release of prisoners across the U.S. after the dollar money system collapsed slash fails because of lack of money to purchase food for the prisoners? Will prisoners well, die in prison? For administrative costs, yes. It does, it does so indicate... And administrative costs in general are going to squeeze the whole system. You'll see the first component of it that will fail will be the uh, commercial prisons. Meaning the ones that are subcontracted? Subcontract the, the totally corporate-owned, uh, exactly, subcontractors to various states and so forth. Uh, they live on a very small margin, <clears throat> excuse me, and that margin's going to basically disappear, and they'll, they'll be forced to shut down. To shut down, and are those prisoners going to be released, or are they going to be transferred to state and federal prisons? I imagine it's a combination of both. It'll never be quite so clear as they'll just open up the doors, but uh, there will be some uh, response by government as they attempt to control the situation. They'll have to take some of these people back. There will undoubtedly be a reshuffling. This is part of the same broader social movement that is leading to the total, total legalization of drugs across the U.S., that we'll see because they'll have to decriminalize a whole class of, of uh, criminal activity at the moment just because the society can no longer afford to keep nearly 1.4% of the populace in jail. Starting with marijuana. I mean, we, we heard it today Correct. in the news. Correct. Now, the question is, is it going to come to a point where prisoners, the ones who would not be released, die in prison because there won't be enough money to feed them? We don't see that in our data specifically, so if it's going to come up, it would be in the, such chaotic circumstances that it wouldn't rise in visibility to the point where, where it would make the main news. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Now, from your website post entitled The Word, is the elusive word freedom? No, we, the word is not in, in, in our particular language. We're seeking a, it, it's called a word in the sense that it is uh, referred to as being sung. And uh, let, me, let me back up. In uh, examining L. Uh, um, Austin Waddell's work relative to the Sumerian language and cuneiform in general, which leads us to Phoenician, which has a branch that goes over to pre-Vedic Sanskrit, there are a couple of documents that have always intrigued me, and I've reread these in light of his input on how to act, accurately translate some of these words. Uh, such as Gilgamesh, you really need to reread that with his translation in mind as well, because it clearly goes into genetic engineering of the main participants. However, I digress. The word is actually referenced in a Sumerian text, or cuneiform text, 
who owned it, who wrote it is immaterial. It predates um, uh, oh, Hebrew by about 4,000 years and in a, um, a pre-Vedic Sanskrit. And what they refer to is a sound which could be sung by humans that disrupted the mind projection or frequency projection that placed a glamorous, bear in mind the word glamorous actually means magic, shield on human minds such that they would not recognize the, quote, visitors for what they really were and saw them in human form. This word is also capable of being created by what is described in two words as a bronze device. I don't think it means a bronze tuning fork. I don't think it means a bronze um, reed, uh, but I could be quite wrong on that. It appears to contain a specific frequency. So it's not in English. It's not, uh, you know, the name of God in any language or anything that we're aware of along those lines. And in one of the texts, it actually talks about, we can't write this down because if we do, they'll be sure and find it and tear up this, uh, this document. And so you're going to have to find it, but there is a specific frequency. And they, it actually talks about that in the Sanskrit, by the way. It talks about modulation, frequency, and amplitude. I'm, in very, those words. I'm very interested in the uh, frequencies, you know, 420, 428. Do you happen to know which, uh, which number uh, no, frequency-wise, hertz-wise? I have no, no idea. If I did, we could, you know, start actually playing with the device right. or with the, um, with the sound. The way it was described in one of the uh, ancillary pre-Vedic Sanskrit descriptions of a battle was that a particular group of individuals had been trained by this this uh, leader. It wasn't uh, described as a king or a rebel or anything. They just said the basically the headman. This group of individuals, which numbered nine, went out and sung the word from the top of a hill across a battlefield where there was some level of fog below. As the fog clears, they, there's a metaphor involved in this as well. The fog cleared from the minds of the their enemies who turned to face their leaders to discover they were big lizards, and they basically all said what the and turned on the lizards and hacked them to bits and then everybody sat down for lunch you mean reptilians correct <clears throat> huh you know speaking of uh, sumeria and the sumerian tablets do you ever follow Zechariah sitchin's work yes i do do you lend credence to to what he says about nibiru 2012 etc no okay now by the way cliff i will start using the phrase do you see and I really mean with that, does the Alta indicate? Okay? Sure, I understand. Do you see loss of electricity and water from commercial plants across the U.S. because of money collapse? Uh, yes, there as well as in the Terra entity. There will be shifts that are already occurring, and let's quickly reference the explosion in the oil rig there. Uh, there are shifts that are occurring subsurface that will cause water shortages because whole aquifers will disappear. This will be concurrent with what's going on. The uh, the oil rig, for instance, had the the one that just exploded had just set a record of of drilling a hole down 35,000 feet into the planet, uh, the deepest deep well for this purpose ever, and of course then they blow up because the, all of their pressure gauges or pressure valves failed on the way up, so they encountered something of a tremendous pressure that just totally overwhelmed the ability of the tubing to contain it, and thus caused the explosion. So I'm thinking that hmm, maybe they were actually unlucky in timing and what they were attempting to achieve and drilling too deep in a time when they should not have. We've got the, the planet actually literally bulging 
in a scientifically measurable fashion, and it, and it relieves some of the bulging when that volcano blew. So something is clearly up at a lower level that uh, is also going to end up in Artera entity. It ends up showing up as the aquifer is being uh, disrupted uh, en masse for large areas. And this reminds me of the largest, one of the largest aquifers in South America. And I heard you mention this in the last couple of days. Everybody remembers two years ago when uh, the Bush family, through Jenna Bush, the daughter of uh, Bush 43, purchased the, the land in Paraguay. Why do you think that really happened? I don't answer why questions. That's that right. It goes to intent. I can speculate, and that's all it would be. If you want to know, somebody should knock on the door and say, okay, what's up? Okay. Do you see volcano activity in the contiguous United States, Yellowstone, Mount Rainier, etc.? We, we have volcano activity. Within our data, it's very difficult to be specific with the geography because geography is like the fourth or fifth most uh, discussed uh, or, or most populous area of data flowing in, and so we have to tend to discount it. The issue for really should be rephrased, do we see impacts on the North American continent from volcanic activity, whether it originates here or not? A, we don't see Yellowstone in our data being a significant issue for um, the foreseeable future. It just does not register. It just doesn't show up. There's some indications of, of uh, volcanic uh, problems for the U.S., but I, it could be that they're actually going to come from uh, Kamchatka, from Russian volcanoes that will cause huge ash problems for us. And that actually makes more sense now because it's uh, antipolar to the, in, in this weird great circle fashion, to the, uh, um, the Icelandic earthquakes and the volcano going off now. And it forms this weird trine, which could be interpreted as a, uh, one of the arms of a tetrahedron. And so, therefore, some of the, um, the angular momentum pressure really does make me think that we'll see a lot of large explosions out of the Kamchatka or, or far uh, eastern Russian Siberian volcanoes. And going back to Iceland, you know, first they had the economic collapse, and now they, has vol- they, they have the volcano. What else can go wrong there? That's a, that's a really good question. I don't want to speculate on that, the poor fellows. Uh, actually, they should, Iceland, once all of the ash and stuff settles down, at least will be able to feed themselves by the uh, little tiny good benefit of the volcanoes, because the volcanoes do have a, a curious property with all the earthquakes and so forth of causing this upwelling that occurs between Iceland and the Faroe Islands. And so the fish population and also the bird population should increase based on the, um, the food chain there. Unfortunately, we note that this volcano went off Previously in the 1700s, coincident to the and caused a famine, which led to the uh, French Revolution and all of that kind of chaos. And it's blowing in the same wind patterns. It's part of the same. Uh, it's part of actually we're in a, a, a my my friend uh, who's an ast- astrologer here, uh, Bob Hitt, could tell me exactly. But there's some large uh, planetary alignment cycle that is completing now that had initially begun in the uh, 1776 or the revolutionary period of our planet. And so we're seeing those same meta themes, if you will, play out again here and how elegant and curious at the same time that here we get to the revolution meme going hot globally again and the volcano pops off again. Are we also going to see that level of food shortages and problems again? Well, the smart people will at least be able to prepare for them now, where in the 1700s they did not have a clue. And here's another commonality, the Haitian earthquake. They haven't had a, such a large earthquake since the 1700s. And we all know that the French had something to do with, with uh, Haiti at that point. 
Oh, sure. They were, yes, uh, mass, slave masters of the area and so on. But it's, it's not really a, um, should not be unexpected. If we look at the universe as a giant top, then as the planets in their orbits pass around and line up, this is actually how here at Half Past Human we do a lot of our earthquake forecasting, is to look at the angular momentum structures that are built by viewing the universe sort of, or the solar system turned upside down. So I have a model that has the sun in the middle and all of the planets arranged on it, and we sort of keep track of where all of the planets are to, at any given point when we're doing our analysis, and you can sort of see how, oh geez, all of these large planets and um, you know, uh, Venus are all over here clumping around, and there's Earth, and if you sort of drew the angles, you'd get this kind of a pressure on the um, uh, planet being pulled by the various different tugs of gravity from from the various different alignments. And so here we have the same kind of cyclic structures that we had in the 1700s, and isn't it really curious that we're also, again, repeating all the same sort of political structures, the same sort of upheavals, going through the same meta-themes of, you know, famine and political revolution, and also religious revolution. Do you see citizen-slash-government, police-slash-military violence and conflict? And if so, to what extent? You mean in the U.S.? Yes. Uh, We do have that. It appears to be more sporadic and more, uh, in the beginning, it will be more towards the idea of repression and oppression than a um, uh, resistance kind of a thing. So at the moment, if someone told me that, you know, there'd been a um, a mutiny in an American military barracks and uh, that doesn't so happen, I wouldn't believe it. I might believe it in six months. I might believe it in a year from now. But at the moment, the linguistics don't favor it. However, if someone were to tell me, uh, you know, there's a um, this kind of a false flag sort of a thing popping up relative to the military in this structure, I would have a tendency to favor that because at the moment, the linguistics are suggesting that such moves that will cause violence will be uh, initiated from uh, the powers that be entity and roll out to the rest of us, if that makes sense. Sure. Do you see massive deaths because of the sun? And is sun disease, quote unquote, sun disease mentioned in the Alter report, radiation from the sun? Uh, Sun disease is not specifically radiation in the sense of ultraviolet, but we live in a radiative universe. We're in a universe that is entirely energy. There is nothing else. Anybody that thinks there's anything other than energy is deluded. The, The illusion of anything else, solid matter, is just that, an illusion. Our five senses only see about half of a percent, if we're lucky, of all the radiation that's out there. So this is, to answer that appropriately, yes, there is radiation from the sun that's going to affect us, but it might be so subtle that it affects your thoughts rather than fries you um, like uh, alpha radiation from a nuke plant. I don't, we don't see that kind of uh, radiation. We do see strange energies from, and unknown energies from space And that actually has to be a little bit larger than our sun because I don't know that it'll be restricted to that. We may indeed be running into something that comes out of the middle of the galaxy. Like a Carrington event? Uh, Or something of that energetic magnitude, but but perhaps of an energetic frequency that we've never encountered before. Or that we have encountered and that it may indeed even cause our species amnesia that seems to roll over us, what, every six, eight thousand years? Right, exactly. And I'm not a proponent for violence at all, but this person says, and I'm changing the question a bit to avoid any problems, folks. What is the population to do once the boiling point occurs and we can't take it anymore? The boiling frog syndrome, Cliff. Uh, I don't buy it. That starts off with a premise that you don't have any other options. And I do not see that. 
So, yes, you may feel pressured, but there are always alternatives. You need not behave as they wish you to behave. And bear in mind, any effort towards violence is something they calculate on, count on, and will capitalize on. And they will use that to control you. Now, it's really a kind of a funny thing, but if you go to a fight and one person doesn't wish to contend in that fight, the fight really doesn't happen. Uh, one person could, there, there could be a number of different kinds of alternative endings to a scenario in which two people encounter themselves or, or run into an encounter where they're in conflict. It need not end in a situation where one person's anger or actions provoke the other into uh, the same kind of a response. They actually do count on this. So as an Aikidoist, I'm going to simply sit back and invite them to throw themselves rather than get all whipped up in whatever drama they're putting out there that they want me to fall into so that my behavior will fall into certain lines that, that fall within their brain set. Bear in mind that if, if uh, David Icke and others and myself are accurate, we're dealing with a mindset at the very top that is hidebound by ritual. So if you, I, I actually probably ought to sit down and write a book on strategies and tactics on how to defeat reptilians because I've, I've given it some serious thought here for the past, so I don't know, six, eight months. And there's some things that are quite clear. An individual citizen can respond by being asymmetric. They cannot cope with asymmetry. So if they expect you to punch them, the, the last thing you want to do is to punch them because they're all prepared for it. It falls within a ritual that they know how to deal with. Their minds are little hardwired patterns. If you can get their mind to jump like uh, from one, one pattern to another, you could control their behavior much easier than they could actually control yours, especially if you go asymmetric on them. I won't define asymmetry for you because that will... That will uh, vary with the circumstances. But if you see a bunch of people with guns trying to stop you from doing something, then don't fall into the trap of trying to resist that and find yourself uh, within their their grasp. Be asymmetric about it and discover some other alternative that renders their viewpoint of the situation irrelevant and immaterial. In Aikido, that's very easy to do. It's it's very difficult to describe, but in a, uh, an attack, if you're standing in what we call Rondori and there's a bunch of people attacking you as fast as they can, you get into a flow where you give in to what is known as the Aiki feeling, and that is to say that you really go with the flow of the universe and you see things at an energetic level and you're able to reach out and find someone's energy and just push them ever so slightly that way. You need not try and hit them with your fist in order to stop the attack, and in fact, that rarely ever works. In those fights I've actually been in, they end very rapidly as soon as you pick someone up and throw them to the ground. Or actually what you do is you present a set of circumstances and invite them to throw themselves. And that's what I'm attempting to do with the powers that be at the moment. I have no intention of inviting the very top to understand that we're coming to get them the nature of their mind. We will use it against them. We're abhorred by it, but we're not so disgusted that we can't deal with it and we're inviting them to throw themselves because we know they can't roll now on a realistic viewpoint if indeed we're dealing with something that's of a reptilian nature that will be a very interesting set of circumstances in which to contend not only because of their mind but because of the change or the the strategies and tactics they will be forced to employ because of their very anatomy 
and uh, we can go into that at another time. That leads to about a five-hour discussion on how shoulder joints work in uh, in <coughs> uh, arm uh, projections, that kind of thing. Sure. And by the way, I was losing a couple of your words there uh, all of a sudden, but you're back. Uh, this sounds irrelevant, but almost like Steven Seagal used the people's energy to let them fall themselves without having to attack them. Correct. He's like, you know, uh, black belt. I exactly. Don't know what level. Yeah. Right. Now, do you see some radiation killing and destroying garden food this year or next yes. year or 2012? And is free dried food the ultimate route for survival for some time? Boy, <laughs> you can't ask me that question. I'll tell you why. I'm, I'm prejudiced against the stuff because I'm a vegetarian and I like my food fresh and vital with lots of key energy in it. Right. And I simply, as an individual, have never been able to tolerate uh, freeze-dried food. We used to get this stuff from the military and... Uh, I've, I've sampled it, and it, it does not affect me well, so I'm the last person you want to ask about that component of it. I would say you can store grain seven years without any worries. Make your own flour, and you have fresh food there in the form of bread for seven years running, and none of it's freeze-dried. And you're going to still need the same amount of water. So um, that would be my approach. But, yes, we do indeed see uh, food shortage uh, gl globally sporadic, and different. It won't be the same everywhere. And a lot of it will indeed be related to the directly to what's going on with the sun now. But then there will also be those that will be secondary effects, like I'm convinced that the angular momentum that put pressure that caused the Icelandic volcano to go off and which will cause other volcanoes to go off this year in such a, a plethora of activity is also the same level of angular momentum that's causing the sun problems. And it's sort of like in this... Um, uh, positive feedback loop, only it's not so positive for us. You don't see anything in the La Palma, the Canary Islands uh, there? Again, you're talking geography that, and, ge and the geographic statements, uh, the various place names show up so much. That's one of those that always shows up with a huge fear uh, component around it, so I'm hesitant to make any um, statements about it simply because we don't have much of a variance. It always shows up very hot. It's a 9 plus when we get an emotional reading off of it. And I think a lot of it may just be generated fear, uh, legitimately or otherwise, and so I just can't differentiate. Okay. Do you see any reference to Tesla scalar weapon system applications causing earthquakes, volcanoes? Let's not forget former U.S. Defense Secretary William Cohen when he warned about eco-terrorism using scalar electromagnetic weapons. Uh, yes, we see it. We don't necessarily see it as a terrorism kind of thing. It's a subset within the alien wars, and that goes hot. Uh, in November if we're lucky. We find ourselves in a, and I'll address that directly now, it'll probably come up later, we find ourselves in a funny situation relative to the data. We have a four-day tipping point. A lot of that four-day tipping point is associated with violence and warfare. Uh, so uh, we get into our monkey mind component now, and we start looking around for various things that could cause that. If we look further into the data set, we see uh, there's a possibility of, of two, at this point, only two, um, large-scale events that would cause this level of the four-day tipping point. One is the um, the violence component. And the violence component, we should stop and say, maybe only a subset of the whole tipping point. We can't tell yet because we're not close enough to the event. But if we just took the violence and the warfare component separate and looked at it, there would be one of two options, either the Israeli attack, which leads to a, a World War III, and or, as goofy as it may sound, alien wars popping up to the point where it supersedes anything else. So in that regard, we could be facing this particular juxtaposition, and I don't know at this point which way it's going to go. I'm hoping it won't, in a sense, I'm hoping it won't go to 
to uh, World War III because I think we'd rather have a um, an external threat component show up uh, for the November tipping point than this uh, global thermonuclear war approach. Alien wars, really alien wars, or Project Bluebeam? No. Uh, uh, well, let me put it this way. I have the third-generation goggles. I go out at those few nights. We have clear skies here in the Pacific Northwest. I look up. One out of every three or four nights, I'll see some form of contention or uh, what could be um, analyzed as a contentious actions between these blobs of light that can be identified as like triangular ships or others that are just blobs of light that are difficult to to uh, further categorize and so there is some kind of contention and let's just call it warfare going on up there now i've seen two instances one in which there was this uh beam kind of an exchange and another in which there was a projectile sort of an exchange that led to a small explosion little tiny kind of an explosion against a larger background of light so alien wars in the sense of something real is going on now and i can't believe they're continuously practicing blue beam and i i hear from other people with these goggles that they're able to see much more than i am but it's all of the same nature yeah i think somebody ought to sit down and start uh, taxonomy of all of the different ships and we ought to start or types anyway and start reporting what's going on but it, it's very active up there so alien wars are underway now what we may get in november is a tipping point that involves the level of visibility penetrating down to the average fellows on the street who are going to basically look up and jaws drop and then who knows what the reaction would be and by the way, folks, I uh, spent a couple of nights with Ed Grimsley, uh, sky watching in Nevada a few weeks ago. And although I'm not going to come out and say that I saw a UFO because I can't prove it and my word is not enough, I did see many of these Delta craft going by really fast. And I, you could not see them with your naked eye. And like you said, Delta, Delta shade just flying all over the place. And the the curious part is I've... The, the Delta Shaft stuff, I kind of think, are ours, yes, right? Yes, Just because there's so many of them. By ours, I mean they're hominids of this, this solar system, and they may even be part of our uh, secret, secret government. Program. Correct. Yeah. Then there's the, the rectilinear ships I'm able to observe, but this is probably because I'm north of the 40th parallel, and I can take advantage of a feature of the angle of light as the sun sets to get uh, multiple... Uh, reflective points off of anything that is square or has hard angles, whereas people that are further south in the lower 30 latitudes probably would not get the, such a good effect. But in any event, I've seen the delta, I've seen the rectilinear, then I've seen these light pulse ships, which are really strange and very fast, and they cause the delta craft to go skittering around like little mices when, uh, with a big cat in the room when one of these things comes across. And they're very fast. They make the Delta craft look very slow. But the other night, I saw this trifurcated, this three-separation uh, giant light craft that covered 72 degrees of arc in, in about one and a half seconds huh. in the smoothest propulsion I've ever seen anywhere. And by the way, just a parenthesis, I like Generation 3 better than Generation 4. Any opinion on that? I've never seen the Generation 4, so I don't know. Okay, yeah. It, it just takes a lot of the detail out. Do you see survival without chemtrail aerosol? And do you see a dual or more purposes in chemtrail aerosoling? Um, there's two different issues there, personal analysis versus what's in the data. Within the data, we have actually, I think, finally categorized a, a proffered 87 different reasons for chemtrails. That's how many we've been able to collect out of the archetypes. Um you know, on a, so yeah, I'm sure that they, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So if there's that many speculations, I imagine that probably more than one are accurate. 
And if that's the case, then the level of complexity is really getting up to where it may be that that at least some people believe that the chemtrails are part of our survival. However, I have to say that they're not ubiquitous around the planet. There's no effort to spray in specific areas. And I've gone to some uh, effort in getting some local areas uh, mapped. And we have local areas in here within, you know, 75 miles of me to the south and uh, 85 miles of me to the east that never, ever receive chemtrails. So there is some association between the chemtrails and either military bases, of course, uh, which have population around them or population centers, which may or may not have military bases around them. Around here in the West Coast, it's difficult to tell because so many of our large cities are clustered around or near military bases. It's difficult to associate those population bases, so we just can't say for sure. But we do know that that uh, there are large areas of the, in the parts of this country and other parts of the continent that are simply not covered with them. So if if it were a vital to um, necessary life kind of a thing, I would expect to see them used in a much different way. I don't really buy that at this point. The, I've heard it repeatedly, and so there you have to give some credence to it and at the back of your mind. Hmm, maybe I ought to listen to this. But at this point, my conclusion is still withheld on that. I think we could still survive without the chemtrails. Somebody said that a lot of the chemtrails are happening in NATO countries, almost like a NATO-inclusive. Uh, do you do you buy that? Yeah, so far in my investigation, that is correct. This, but we also have outliers. We have it in Japan. There's some areas in China. Uh, there have been uh, instances in Finland going over to Russia, but it may Russia may have just been blowover as far, as far as I know because it was in the eastern part of Russia. Uh, there are areas that you just don't see it. But again, I've been told of chemtrails in uh, Southeast Asia. Probably we need to talk to Art Bell and see if he sees them in uh, Manila because I've been told they're over the Philippines frequently. Uh, I don't know that to be true or not, but I do know that uh, from friends in Japan that they've got them over there. Do you see any indication that outside, quote-unquote, outside animals are dying at a higher rate? Yes. We've, we've, I've noticed a large indication in just uh, collected data points on uh, cancer clusters, on uh, animals that are, uh, um, not, I don't want to say primarily, but that are indeed outdoors. Yeah. How about human skin, skin aging Wait, at a higher been, rate? I don't know about aging, but there's been a, a huge uptick in reports of uh, skin disease of all kind around the planet. Various different kinds, though, some, some of which are not necessarily associated directly with the sun. Next one. Are earthquakes across the United States, Haiti, Chile, Tibet, and there you go, China, I said it, Tibet, Iceland, caused by scalar weapons, as Secretary of Defense William Cohen said in 1997? I believe that it's possible. I don't know of any specific earthquake under specific circumstances. Bear in mind we'd, uh, the, that we'd actually expect, expect it and, and sort of forecast an uptick in volcanic activity based on hyperdimensional alignment, which is to say the, how the planets align relative to the Earth and the pressures that are put due to the angular momentum on uh, uh, angular momentum relative to magnetics. So I expected a lot of volcanic activity. It need not be caused by a scalar weapon. It may entirely be natural because these things occurred in 1700s and earlier, again, on cycles that are predictable relative to how the planets line up. Any given one could be, because I know they have the capability. Is the electrical positive slash negative ion balance in the atmosphere affected by the sun and aerosol activity? Certainly, no question about that. How about human mental process? 
Again, no question about that. Negative ions are uh, very good for human mental processes, positive less so, too much of the positive, and you get into the Santa Ana winds. Uh, there's also analogs around all the other continents except for Antarctica, where people just basically go a little crazy in specific times of the year, and it has a lot to do with the uh, overabundance of positive ions. And I remember living in Orange County years ago, so I remember the Santa Ana winds very clearly. Now, regarding your latest post, will Israel use scalar weapons to attack Iran? I have no idea. Our data seems to suggest that their initial attack is um, airborne. Now I'm wondering if uh, the volcanoes may make that moot, because we're actually getting to the point where if we do have the continued volcanic activity showing up, then, then it'd be a good thing. If the volcanoes go off repeatedly as they have in the past and follow past patterns, the, the volcanic activity may shut down all of the warfare over the Mideast simply because there'll be too much ash to fly in that region. That's a, the, basically the area in which all of the uh, next section of the jet stream will carry the ash load. That would actually be very good for Iran and also very good for Israel that if they didn't attack, then we would bypass that whole uh, potential stream and would actually center us back on the alien wars for our November 8th tipping point. Now bear in mind that at November 8th through November 11th is a giant tipping point and what occurs in our data set is that all of the entities which are like uh, jellyfishes all in an aquarium all packed together all different colored jellyfishes with stringy um, tendrils everywhere. In a tipping point all of the jellyfish kind of like uh, suck it up and haul up all of the tendrils and become a little bit harder and then they all merge towards a central area. So we see within a tipping point, we see the same linguistic sets at a very high archetype in all of the entities uh, get a very large increase or at the same level of increase of emotional tension, summation values all at the same time. And basically you can think of it as all these jellyfish in the aquarium all get zapped with electricity at the same time and seem to behave all the same, whereas before their behavior was more random and they would bump around and all of this kind of thing. So the tipping point, we, we have a linguistic subset that centers in on warfare, but it's not the only thing in there. We also have around that time, in October and so forth, we have the results of uh, the currency debacles that will continue through summer. And that is going to be huge relative to the long-term emotions. It may be that our tipping point is something a little bit larger than warfare per se. It may be that it's the total infrastructure collapse, which triggers the idea from the powers that be, oh, well, we might as well have our warn now that the whole infrastructure has collapsed economically and the cat's out of the bag. Make sense? Yes, it does. And by the way, speaking of the Iceland volcano, many people from the UK wrote to me when the airspace was closed and they were saying they could not believe how beautiful skies they were having because there weren't any chemtrails. Yes. <laughs> the absence of evidence and all of that. It's like, hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Now, that brings me to your latest website post, Wolf and the other blitzers. I have been pondering this scenario for a long time. Many people don't know that the Zionists, which doesn't mean Jews, folks, had a lot to do with the Nazis and the massacre of millions. They were sacrificial lambs. So you see these Zionists again, this time using the entire population of Israel to push forward their final plan? Let's spend some time here because it's critical. Sure. Uh, let's examine the fact that, again, the Zionists, if if you want to just look at it from this really woo-woo perspective, and we're in the woo-jo now, and in mm -hmm. the woo-jo we practice uh, woo-woo-do, where we examine all these possibilities, and like educated individuals, we will examine and twist the idea, poke it, uh, gnaw on it, and see how it responds without necessarily having to accept it, or accept all of it. 
So let's examine the idea first that the Zionists may at their ultimate level be controlled once again by these reptilians. One thing is really clear about the reptilian mind is that it is ritual bound. Reptiles cannot help it. They can't step outside of their ritual if they tried. So it makes sense then in a fractal universe at a macro level that once again they're going to step in the same kind of patterns to attempt to achieve the same kind of ends even if it's at a larger level. Then we can ask ourselves, hmm, is there support for the idea of using a population base as a sacrificial uh, offering, if you will, in order to get certain things to occur in the past in history? And if so, does the size of the population base and the sacrifice increase over time such that it would lead us to the proposition at the moment that a whole country would be offered. And sure enough, if anybody's astute enough to go and look at history and go back and follow previous um, holocausts prior to the World War II advent and the prior to the Zionists then offering up their Jewish and Gypsy uh, Romanesque peoples mm-hmm. as um sacrifice, you find that the same pattern existed in Armenia and go back and back and back and you'll find that the population base that is offered up always increases in size. Then you can actually get really twisted here and you say, what would cause that increase? Well, a really twisted way of looking at it is that there's a larger populations of these fear-feeding, um, blood-sucking lizards and they need a larger sacrifice each and every time. It's just incredible. And, that's, and that in a nutshell, gives you a strange woo-woo version of why the whole state of Israel exists, why it was stuck there in 1947, why they allowed it to fester in a situation where it should never have been placed there to begin with, uh, causing all of this tension and conflict, and why the people there are not uh, peace-loving, peace-seeking individuals. Cliff, you there? Cliff? Whenever we talk about this subject... Cliff, you there? Hello? Cliff? I'm here. Okay. So whenever we start talking about the subject of Israel, something happens with our communication. Can you hear me okay now? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, I Where lost you. I drop out? You dropped out when you were talking about uh, putting the Israelis in that portion of land in the Middle East. Okay. This is part of a macro pattern, as I was stating. So, yes, I do see support for this continuation of the use of this pattern by the Zionists. Bear in mind, the Zionists were also the financiers of the Bolshevik Revolution and directed and fed yes. all the way up through Stalin. And, and it doesn't matter. Any dictator you care to name, uh, you know, any weird politico is probably deep in with these people. The Zionist is either a tool of them or they're being used by them as a tool. And all of it goes back up a pyramid to some non-human controller, central power authority of some kind. And again, we note the extensive use of ritual everywhere. Ritual minds are those minds that like the same pathway and predictability. Again, it's a weakness. Now we're going to go around the world with questions from people all over. This one comes from Australia. Do you see a chemical or biological weapons of mass destruction threat looming? Uh, that's as, okay, they've asked about a threat. They probably really care about an actual event, I would think. Uh, yes. The threat exists. We find the threat continuously shows up in the archetypes. It's intended to be a threat. It's supposed to cause the fear. We have uh, two instances in which there's going to be uh, chemical issues for a population. One of them appears to actually be volcanic or outgassing. I'm not sure it's going to be caused by humans. And then the other may uh, be accidental. So we don't have uh, the idea of a 
uh, biochemical release that is deliberate at this stage anyway. We do show within the chaos in the space goat farts entity where we had that curious thing about the guy from off-world is going to get videotaped accidentally while the video crew is wandering through this area of chaos and destruction. That was all that chaos and destruction was all about and concerned with this um, chemical exposure for the uh, local population that causes everybody to have to flee in mass temporarily. When do you think extraterrestrial contact on a worldwide scale will happen? It's happening now on a worldwide scale. Now it's not everyone on that that on the planet, but you yourself will acknowledge if you have those glasses and look up, contact is happening for you. So let's you have to define the terms. Are we talking about aliens walking around the street? I don't know. We've got a huge huge uptick of that kind of language and the level of visibility from November eighth onward, large enough that that I'm tempted to almost say it could be central to the tipping point at this stage. We don't have enough data to make that statement absolutely, but it seems to be shading that way. See, to me, what I saw, I felt it was ours. And when I say ours, Earthling, not the United States. You haven't seen the light pulse ships, though. No, I have not. You know what a drive-in movie theater is? Yes. Okay, so in a drive-in movie theater, imagine this this image. You're the only car. It's just dark as uh, can be. Uh, you're up at the very last row of the of the drive-in movie theater, such that your headlight beams, if you turn them on, would illuminate the screen. Sure. These light light pulse ships are so weird because what it appears to be is a, as though a car turns on its headlights and illuminates the screen up in space. We see the screen for a half a second. I mean, uh, just a a brief millisecond, not even a moment. And then in the same place ahead of where the car was, where the screen is, the car suddenly jumps to that point and the screen jumps ahead of it and it flashes again. <laughs> so it is the, it is truly an alien method of propulsion. I don't think many humans would have come up with this idea. It's nothing coming, it's as though you create a hole and, you know, five feet away from you and allow that hole to suck you in and then it disappears and then it recreates five feet ahead of you and you don't ever take a step. Right, Exactly. Now, will silver outdo gold during the hyperinflation drive? That appears to be the case there as well as deflation. And it appears because the silver seems to have some key component that gold does not relative to the um, the new electrics. At what point? I can't say. We don't have a real time indicator that I would trust. I do know that uh, I wouldn't sell any silver. And this person, of course, being from Australia, asks, is Australia a safe haven? during the solar flare storm. Sure looks that way. I say this because of the huge amount of investment being placed there by the powers that be, and one can only imagine they paid for a lot of brains to try and suss out safe places for themselves. And someone I know about, this is another question, someone I know about working for a large company, providing audit and tax advisory services, sells himself completely out of the stock market. He said China is next. A new financial crisis coming in summer. According to him, could not find anything about this regarding China in your latest report. So I was wondering if you have any data on this. Uh, Yeah, that's part of the uh, subset of activity that leads to the currency collapses. And actually, see, you've noticed that it started in Greece and it's going to roll over towards China. And it's yet another uh, form of the uh, credit contraction. We have to shed all of this malinvestment that's been building up and protected for the last 30 or 40 years with the subset of existence of the black ops. We got into a strange 
global problem economically about 40 or 50 years ago with the success of the shadow world. They kept organizations going. They should have failed due to to, um, organic economic conditions, which would have allowed us to recover the resources and move on as a society. And yet we've had to keep all these structures going because key components of their world depended on it. And so we were supporting all of these organizations that should have, have failed. Cliff, you're cutting off. Are you there? Cliff? Cliff? Yeah, okay. You, you, Mel, all of a sudden, I, I lose you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. yeah all of a sudden, you get cut off. Uh, okay, you, well, it sounds like a, say, the, say, the La Violette syndrome. Yeah, yes, yes. If we continue like this, maybe uh, after the break, we hang up and I call you on the phone. Is that okay? Sure, that'd be fine, too. Okay, but let, let me finish that thought there. The, the idea is that the uh, currency collapses will affect China. It's going to hit everything. That also leads to the irrelevancy of the Fed sometime this fall, which indicates a huge wave of deflation. And uh, that is something that the powers that be just have no remedy for. It's through in the system now, baked in the cake. It has to come out. And deflation, for what reason? Because they've... Uh, basically, the whole planet since the 40s, since the um, conquering of the planet by the American economic model, has has led to the situation of where everybody on the planet as a country and every individual was hooked into this idea of growth uberales, growth forever. Everybody wanted to know on your bottom line, what was your growth factor? How fast were you growing? And so on. And we're in a closed system. We're in a Petri dish. And it's like we were a giant a culture that was killing the middle of the petri dish eating up and consuming the resources and then moving out towards the edge we've reached the edge we're at a finite resource base and we've never been a particularly management astute or sustainability astute species and so we've gotten ourselves in a situation where it all must crash at a giant cyclical level taking down all of the economy at all levels in order that we might reconstitute ourselves now will it all happen as a giant big building kind of a crash or is it more of a crumble of a um, uh, sand dune in which the sand is constantly rearranging itself. I'm hoping for the latter and assuming that that's going to be the case because universe is self-correcting. And so there are smart people out there doing smart things at the moment that are going to take us away from the current state of affairs. But the, we'll never solve any of the problems that we have economically or socially using the same level of thinking that got us here. And that thinking's been imposed by our education system the last 40 or 50 years. So it will all crash totally. And when I was saying deflation, I was being a little bit sarcastic. We all remember the, well, I wasn't there, and nor were you, I think, the 1930s and the, during the Great Depression. Deflation occurs, and the powers that be, or whoever's in control, buys all that at a fraction, and then comes back and sells it to us at a higher price. Isn't this what's happening now? Yeah, but this is going to be uh, more of an extreme expression of that. This is going to be deflation on the order of what drove the uh, starvation, which led to the French Revolution and the bloodbaths there. The kind of deflation we're going to run into here is deflation of assets against uh, of, of currency and paper, which has been created en masse for all these 40 years by the criminal Cabalists out of Wall Street and the credit card companies and their minions, the Congress critters and and their um, uh, shepherd or or cowboy that uh, herded them all up, the whoever was in the White House. These guys have created a mountain of paper that has to be undone, so it has to be deflated against real assets, and we're going to see that 
in a way, I think, that will allow for a redistribution because at some point the legal fictions around ownership are going to dissolve. So you're correct. It would benefit somebody, a deflation benefit somebody if uh, one of the evil um, uh, Rockefeller clan wanted to go and buy up Montana real cheap if there was deflation. Only now they're going to go to Montana and find out, sure, they can throw money at it in a deflationary uh, viewpoint, but nobody in Montana is going to recognize their legal ownership. They're not going to allow that kind of uh, a deed or paper ownership of things anymore. If you're not there to claim it the, you're, and defend it and deal with it, your, your claim to ownership is rather moot. Possessions, uh, possession is, what is it, two-third of uh, the law, I believe? Or nine-tenths or whatever. Nine-tenths yeah. of the in this, law. In this case, it'll be 100%. Right, exactly. Now, this one, I hope we don't get disconnected again for asking this question. In the last interview with Veritas, Mel conveyed to you the possibility that the Israelis had changed the date for their Iran strike, partially due to the WebBot data. Do the machinations of political and military organizations and their possible use of your data affect your research at all, or is that something you've already compensated for? We had compensated for up to a certain point, and then I tuned the lexicon between the December run and this one in March, and you'll notice I left out big chunks about the powers that be and so on, and I'll allow you to derive your own conclusions from that. What is your assessment that you can safely share with us, the listeners, about the powers that be's posture and possible reaction to your work? Obviously, the information you're putting out has the potential of seriously derailing projects or drawing attention where none is wanted by certain powers and principalities. Is there any possibility that the data gap mentioned in the report could be man-made or should I say powers that be made? Sure. Oh, yeah, I've considered the possibility that it could be my assassination. And that's why there is no data. And that's uh, potentially very real. At what level? Who knows? Let's not uh, go it's there. A, it's an issue of, you know, um, uh, I've considered that the data gap could be, um, couldn't be created simply because of the way you have to understand how it existed. The, the association of a temporal length to a word was done by myself against this vast quantity of words, nearly 300,000 of them back in the mid-90s. So I would run across a word, let's say uh, summons, as an illegal sense. And I would assign, just based on my personal gut feeling, that, that a summons was a legal word, it was going to have a long-term effect on you, I would put it into the long-term word categories, which I'd artif uh, or arbitrarily set at being from the fourth month out to the 19th month, with an extension out to the 36th month. So at the time that I assigned that, uh, I just did it in such a way that the gap represents a true expression of the data coming through itself rather than a ability of somebody to engineer. In order to engineer the gap, you'd have to eliminate from the internet whole... Yep. You're getting caught off again. Cliff? Cliff, one, two, three. I'm going to have to use the phone route, folks. Be right back. Hello? We can always rely on the good old phone. <laughs> Hey, don't count on it. I've worked on the phone system and the background oh. on the billing and rating channel and the SS7 uh, code. <laughs> That's the phones oh. that are so open, yeah. Well, let's hope that uh, we can continue. Okay. Where did you stay? Um, I was off on the issue of the data gap. Did you hear the part yes, about the yes. summons? No. Okay, let's just, I, I was saying, here's how the data gap was formed, okay? Back in the uh, early 90s, I started associating emotional um, tonality, if you will, temporal values and so on, with words. I would choose a word, let's say a word like summons. It's a legal word. It's going to have a long-term impact on your life. 
so what I did then was to, uh, to put uh, that within a category that was in the long-term values. So when it came up in an archetype form, then I would associate the long-term data uh, points with that particular word, and that's how we got our temporal associations with all the various different words, 300,000 to start with. And I've tuned it over time. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the gap itself is a naturally occurring phenomenon, because in order to engineer the, such a gap, one would have to eliminate all the legal language in, 19, er, in 2003, because that would have affected the long-term data from the viewpoint of us in 2003. In 2010, they would have to eliminate all of the uh, uh, far-edge, shorter-term data, because that's what is needed to create the gap now. In 2011, in order to create the gap then, you'd have to eliminate all of the short-term and, and uh, far-edge immediacy values. Does that make sense? So that would be yes, noticeable. Absolutely. We would see large chunks of the data, words, specific words, being gone or replaced on the Internet, and it would be noticeable. So I don't believe it's being engineered. Um, it could be due to any number of natural causes that we just simply can't explain yet. There's all kinds of stuff that, that uh, you know, appears real goofy at some point in our work here, and later on we get an aha moment out of it. So I'm, I'm just not ready to discount uh, some of the more goofy hypotheses. But at the moment, we don't really have an explanation for it. So considering the valuable intel you provide with your technology. Are there any insights you can safely share with the audience on similar technology that, quote-unquote, might be used by the, quote-unquote, opposition, uh, government intelligence sources, the powers that be, etc.? And if other such forecasts slash trend research technology affect each other or the data gathered? It, it makes sense that uh, there, there's a non-virtuous cycle going on where trans research stuff affects uh, other people who read it who then may be sucked into some other trend uh, research and thus uh, sort of like cross-pollinate or pollute the data stream. Our data works at an archetype level specifically so that we could screen this out because bear in mind we'd initially, way back when, intended to try to make money at it, and so we wanted it to be very accurate relative to a very finite set of words. And so the accuracy was to be uh, paramount in terms of the emotional uh, tone component to it, that is to say the emotional duration, intensity, and so on values. So um, we get to the situation where the... The data sets themselves, to a certain point, uh, become self-descriptive. It gets really difficult to deal with it at a software level, and the, con and the question becomes even more complex once you start getting into the details. This is really why it, it drives people crazy, because radical linguists, I think, are very much akin to attorneys. You have to parse words at very specific levels in order to be sure of the meaning you're getting across. And I kind of hate to be like that, but ever since I read Buckminster Fuller, I can't help myself. That's why your wife says that you behave like an attorney sometimes, parsing her words, right? Correct, correct. And that's why I've learned to duck very well. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's inject a little esoteric uh, question here. Would you say that karma is a form of matter which would make it a real entity? Yeah, certainly. It's as real as any other matter. Bear in mind, my viewpoint is that we live in an energy that's in, in a universe that is entirely composed of energy, and that any uh, uh, thoughts to the contrary, that anything is solid or merely an illusion created to amuse you at that particular point and allow you to get your business done. That does not really exist, and it must be this way. I can create a number of different... Uh, thought experiments to prove that if everything, if all atoms were persistent, uh, eventually, or not even eventually, or in very short order, you would get the uh, any space filled up with atoms and nothing could move, and therefore no one could breathe, and there wouldn't be any energetic activity at all. 
Therefore, within the energetic view of things, uh, what you're looking at is basically a pyramid. If I'm correct, and there's a 22 trillion times a second pulse uh, that comes out and, and basically runs everything, then that pulse is, is read, if you will, or perceived or, or interacted with at various different levels. Like our brains are interacting with the pulse at about 30 to 40 frames per second as we go along very much like uh, movies, and that's why uh, films work and video work and trick our brains into thinking that there's actual motion there. So really, in that viewpoint, it's very understandable that karma might simply be uh, this this very fine, uh, non-visible-to-us matter that occurs at, say, uh, a million uh, beats per second or 10,000 or something along those lines. And so at that level, it would be perceivable if we could see that level of vibration. That we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist or have its impact. And this is certainly uh, uh, allows for everything from auric bodies and energy fields and all of that to exist within the energetic universe, all of which would attract other energy fields that are in sympathetic, harmonic vibration and thus, that's how there's this resonance that attracts the various kinds of karma. If you want a really detailed description of karma, you can explore it through the Jain, J-A-I-N, uh, religion. And there's some German, I can't think of what his name is, but he wrote a really good book on delineating all the different kinds of karma. And it's available on Amazon at a reasonable price. And it was really cool to read because he, he, he got down to it, down to the gnat's ass. He knew karma down to where he would say, this karma affects what you look like at this point when you're, you know, in your life, that kind of thing. You know, you're a walking encyclopedia. When I tell people, any question you ask Cliff High, he, he just does not hesitate. Boom. Hey, your brain, I, I tell you. It's just, okay, it's just a sponge. I just have read a lot. Bear in mind, I was dyslexic. Yes. I didn't learn to read until an advanced age. I, I invented software that allows me to read very fast from computers, and I used it. Interesting. Interesting. This one comes from Colorado. A more negative question, if you will. I would like to know where the worst possible place to live is in the event of the upcoming cataclysm. Whereas I have no desire to live in some post-Armageddon hellhole or survive as microchip slave droid of some New World Order fascist scientific dictatorship. <laughs> and I also have reservations about suicide, not because I'm afraid to die, but I'd hate to have to come back and relive life or some event I, I avoided. Maybe I'll just trade some of my storable food for cyanide capsules just in case. <laughs> well, if he wants to go that route, better he should sell everything he owns and move to some place that's near an equatorial beach and just enjoy it because the equator probably would be one of the worst places to be. Bear in mind that the planet is an oblate spheroid, meaning it's not perfectly spherical. There's a 26-mile right. gap. It's wider at the equator by 26 miles than it is at the polar measurement. Therefore, when it goes spherical for, in order for everything to shift around, the equator's got to flatten out. And I imagine there's going to be a big slosh of water around the equator. And uh, these questions are more of a technical aspect. What is the ratio of territorial control of the servers, the spiders, uh, that the spiders read, example, Canada, USA, Russia, China, and how many words of certain languages are in the lexicon you use, and what are the languages, English, Persian, French, etc.? Sure, et sure, I understand. Actually, the first part of the question is ruled by the second part of the question. We don't really care, nor do we know at the time that the spiders are sent out uh, where they will end up, because it's very easy. I use Prologue as a control program for everything, and the Prologue thing preps the spiders with initial list of fora to start with, and then it gives various different spiders of various different kinds uh, discretionary constraints. It's all constraint programmed. Um, all the constraints are driven out of a 
SQL Server database that uh, feeds all of the Prolog uh, controllers. But basically what it does, it, it'll tell a spider, okay, start off on this group of, say, 50 or 60 fora, and you're allowed in any given fora to go down 12 layers of links, and from each of those laying it, layers or links, you're allowed to go down an additional six layers. And where, so where the links are is where it takes the spiders. So it's indeterminate from our viewpoint. We just don't know where they're going to go. It could send it to a Russian fora, but it could do, instantly discover a link to an English uh, violin manufacturing company and go off to an English fora, and then from there on, who knows? So to a certain extent, that's indeterminate. And that's actually how we produce our serendipitous runs, is just by allowing them to go and hunt data that way. Now, the, the second half is relative to the, of the question is relative to the languages. We started off with 300,000 English words. I think the last time I actually ran a word count on it, because I don't really care, um, it was like uh, 1.28 million. But that's a sort of a misnomer, because there's, um, there are multiple languages. We've got uh, representations of 19 different forms of language, which is to say 19 of the multi-byte uh, uh, alphabet character types that are required for transliteration. So I have Cyrillic. Do you hear that, Cliff? Yes, I do. Are you still there? Almost. I'm still here, but it's almost like a phone call going your way or my way. Yeah, nothing to do with me. It's, it's in the background here. And just bear in mind, a minute ago, they took down my whole node in order to cut us off. Are you still there? I'm still here. Let me hang up and call you right back. Okay. All right. We'll try it again. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is the Karai Sitchin, and you are listening to a wonderful radio interview conducted by Mel.